I want to welcome to the show. We have one of the nicest MCs, producers in the game, our super producer, half of the cool kids, two new albums out right now, Baby Oil, Staircase, Chill Out, Before Shit Got Weird. Chuck English, welcome to the show, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max, Live 365, iHeartRadio. What's going on, man? What's going on, man? How you feeling about these two new albums? Um, it's like a, it's like kind of just how do you feel about your kids? You know what I mean? Like, I'm uh happy it's out. I think that um you know just the kind of the state in the world that we live in right now, it's hard for albums to like last long or even kind of be that impactful. So. Just to hear it from people and know that people are still listening to it and it's catching on. And it's like, you know, I know like kids are leaving school and they're like sharing it with each other. Summer's starting to start. So I've like peeped out a little bit. So I really, I do, like, I, I love what I made. I love what we built. I like the imagination and care we put into it. And I just did that to leave, like, just leave it there. And then people will get there when they get there. You know, like, in this day and age, any anybody with anything on the underground, it's a, it's a little hard to get heard. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I respect you for what you have done and continue to do for hip hop. Pick up on line six. That's one of my favorite world on wheels, the light communication. You always have kept it real since day one and coming in here and you just wanted to spread positivity and keep going for the culture and just what you felt was cool. You never wanted to be too explicit in your music. You want to have something cool that you could listen to while putting on your jacket. Yeah. I mean, just anything like it's, it's a reflection of myself pretty much. And like the different chapters of things that I've experienced, like it, it comes off cool and relaxed. But if you listen to some of the words that I've used on this album, and you know, it's cheeky, like it's clever, but like there's depths to it, you know. Um, me exploring like certain subjects on love and patience, like with the communication joint and uh, the... Um, What's the other joint? The red beans and rice one. Mm -hmm. Like those are like, they're like subtle, but it's like like little love. They're like messages. They're like notes, you know. So I make it sound cool, but it's me also, you know, talking back to myself, talking to tons of people at once, like talking to one girl and then talking to all the girls at the same time. Um, yeah, that's like what I always wanted to come off as, which is me, which is, it's, it's a comfortable me. It's not like, you know, the fieriest side of me, the darkest side of me. And it's not, it's like those things I don't feel like you should always share. So the part of my artistic self, like what I experience and what I'm seeing, like how, how red the red is to me. Um, that's just what I like to do, man. Before shit got weird, would you say that this title was an acknowledgement to the pandemic and the world that we're currently living in now? Or would you say, because we're so many things going on with politics, or is, the, is it the music industry? Because I'm someone that tends to stay, even though we have some dope MCs out here, the, how the radio stations cater to hip hop is not the hip hop that we like and the, the hip hop that you make. What was um, it, would you say? How would you classify that title before shit got weird? What was it, an approach and acknowledgement? I don't like a coincidence. I named this uh, album back in like when we started working on it. So I'd say 
late 2017, early 2018. And it was more of a reflection of what the cool kids were. Like, like in my head, you know, we existed right when CDs are on their way out. You know, like we dropped our first album when Lil Wayne dropped Carter Three. You know, NERD dropped Seeing Sounds. Like, <clears throat> there was still so much like happening from the world that raised me still. So I just know for what I wanted to name this album and like the 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 kind of like sci-fi neo futuristic kind of like alternate universe. It was like in my head we existed before shit got weird. And like now we're in the shit's weird era. And this is kind of like what I'm establishing ourselves as. But you know, I'm I'm kind of big on like letting go of your old self. You know, I know people, I know it's harsh. It's a hard thing for people to see the cool kids and what we did in that era of clothes and how influential it was. But like we was kids and that's not, that's not what's happening anymore. And I kind of wanted to put a period mark or like a marker, a timestamp on, on our, uh, just where our career is. There's, there's pre- before shit got weird and now there's post before shit got weird and I want this to be like the record that everybody talks about in the future as when they got put on to what we were doing so the fact that shit got weird is the funny part you know what I'm saying like (laughs) (laughs) it's just like I kind of always been ahead of the curve on trends and what I think will happen next and I saw it getting real creepy you know and it did it still is. It's actually getting creepier. So, but that type of shit is funnier to me because as long as I'm alive and I can go get me some food and ain't nobody really in my way, life's still tight. And the pandemic hasn't stopped you at all. As you've released these two albums and you and Mikey are working, you're putting together some great material here for hip hop. Are you guys looking to go back on tour, do some tours here for the albums? Oh yeah, um, we're putting together like an original situation, kind of like an experience as far as our tours go. Um, I really am in the mood also to, you know, if one of the homies has got another tour run or a big tour run, a company and something big, kind of like reintroducing ourselves to people that don't know us. So, you know, I don't think we at headline right now. We, we, we reach reintroducing ourselves to the people that might've heard of us before and, and actually introducing ourselves to a whole new world. So, like I said, I don't like to think about what I did more than I think about what I'm doing. So in my head, I'm a new artist. So it's like, I'd be excited to open up for someone, like get in there, kill it. And then like bring a whole nother snowball, a whole nother bunch of new fans. So when we put together our real, you know, tour, it's like I'm I'm mixing all these different worlds together. So you got to have a game plan. It's like, you don't, you know, when off, off the tip off, no one draws up a play like, let's just shoot a three from half court. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's run an offense because I want to maximize what we're doing and what we're doing next. And um, just kind of like establishing the fact that this is just another route. Same guys, different route, different applications, different way of, of you know, putting our name and stamp on things. I've heard you say in the past that, 
there's maniacs to every craft. You look at Michael Jordan with basketball, he was a maniac. You look at these producers out here that have gone platinum, multi-platinum, and even diamond, they're maniacs. If if you're true to what you do to becoming a superstar, you're a maniac. So how much has that maniac level turned up for you right now and that you're kind of reintroduce yourself into the game and bringing new fans in to the cool kids? I mean, that's why I can, I, that's why I can identify it on other people. They might not see it. And it's like maniacs don't really have direction it's psychopaths like that's why it's having that's why the path is in there like it's all you see and i uh fortunately i have a balance so i know the difference between what's what but yeah i'm i'm fully there like i don't think i could wake i don't i don't wake up content like <clears throat> but it's a happy it's a happy uh, uh uncomfortable it's not like um I'm being driven towards some uh, abyss of uh, of uncertainty. I know exactly what I want to do. I know how I wanted to do it. I want. I know exactly how I want it to look for the next ten years. I'm willing to accept defeat in the form of trying my hardest, but I don't think I'll ever lose. So it's like I had that fire. I just know how. I know how to be disappointed. Like, it's like how Michael Jordan explains, like, you got to know how to lose as a winner. You know, like, everything's not going to go your way. You will have a bad game. There will be a couple of different moving parts that keep you from seeing the result you see because other people are involved. So it's like champions got teammates, but that's why they're so hard-nosed on their teammates about if you see the vision the way that I see it. Luckily for me, you know, my teammate, my partner, we are as crazy about seeing the world the way we want to affect it, like how we want to style things, how we want products that comes from us for the next 10 to 20 to shape how we did with the Internet back in the day. Like that wasn't a fluke. It's just no real material to, to, to mold right now. You take like a micro, uh, <clears throat> like a microcosm or a super moment in time like MySpace. And like a lot of people have great memories from that because it was so much being shared, but it was giving kids a, a choice. Like you could do that or you could do this. You know what I'm saying? You could do that over there. But look, it's girls over here. Look, it's everybody you thought wouldn't be over here, but you know, people were finding they cool and they so, you know, whatever hobby they liked was accentuated by like the energy we was putting off. Um, and it wasn't really like it was it was more adapted and copied than it was rivaled or caught hate. You know, what I mean, we got we got that little shit. But now it's not cool to hang on cool kids. No more. Back when it was like, uh, look how they dressed. You fast forwarded. Now it's like, look how all these motherfuckers dress. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is no rap uniform. It could be a rap kit. You could have a kit. You could have the same chains on as. So and so, but um, yeah, I say that to say like there's so much more, and the drive is different. It's more like sacrifices. It's more like you know I'm still in a apartment that I've you know built out. It's cool in here, but even as I make more money, I'm like I'm staying here till I I can see it. Because anything else will take my focus off of those people that put like 
children or financial purchases as ways to motivate themselves to keep it up. That shit's, shit's wicked, bro. Like, I would never do that. Like, I got the discipline to sit in one spot. And even though, like, money's tight, you know what I mean? I could go put some money down on the house, but I still, you know what I mean? I don't own it. I do own it, but I got a mortgage. The bank owns it. You know what I mean? To me, it's like not worth taking my eye off the prize and the focus of like the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? These these cons- uh, consulting agencies, these marketing agencies, all these people that do product, like until they see shit the way I see it, I'm not done. No. And I feel like the way I see it is just better for Earth because I ran into these people. They didn't do shit. They wasn't outside. So it's like the reason why shit sucks is because the people making it, they don't even know no better. It's not like I'm mad at them. It's just you wasn't you went to school. You did everything you were supposed to do. Now you sitting in the office telling people that I don't know why fire trucks gotta do shit like that, bro. <laughs> like it's just like go save the world and shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> I love firefighters, but bro. He mashing down the block on the horn like is somebody really in the way? Wasn't nobody in the way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like I was saying, just you know, seeing the people that are in control of shit, I don't. You know, I know they don't mean no harm. It's just, bro, you gotta get the fuck out the way now, because mm-hmm. it's like I've sacrificed my time to be, you know, obviously in the position I am. But now I want your job, not because I want it and I'm greedy but you fucking up. So, you know, I think about like everything is down to one site or on one device. It's like, I don't even know where people get their music from. I can't even tell you. People don't even know where they're getting it from. So it's like, you like a song, you go on a service to rent the song. You don't own the shit. Don't nobody got a music collection. Don't nobody got a movie collection. Nobody got a collection of nothing but like oversold, overpriced sneakers that now they got a renter service for that shit. And it's like, I ain't even gonna lie, some of them sneakers is ugly as hell, bro. And people just be over, over, overcooking them because the person who's sitting in some office is like, we're gonna drop this colorway. You couldn't even tell you how many times I wish I had, it was a customer service line, a Nike or Jordan, like, bro, what the fuck are y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I love it too much to not critique it. So that's the thing about me, it's like, you look around, this is still a world I built if you really concentrate on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm not I'm not walking out this motherfucker because it's fuck, I didn't fuck it up. Like, <laughs> everybody took the shit I had lined up and was just like, all right, check now, we're going to do it our way. All right, all right, we'll do it your way then. Mm-hmm. Go with that artist, listen to them. Now everybody feeling empty walking around and, you know, like, Kendrick dropped one just little breath of consciousness and everybody losing it. Yeah, no, he did. No, he snapped. Like, don't get it. Do not get me wrong. I do not want to be misquoted. That shit was beautiful. But the think pieces and how hard it hit everybody is because everybody regurgitating just the same mouthwash. So, yeah, like, to answer your question, the focus is there, the the maniac behavior. You know, I'm, I'm not a psychopath, but I'm very calculated and very direct, like, it's almost like a Bruce Lee punch. 
you could tell that from the two new albums. You brought up the sneaker talk before, big sneaker head, and you had an impact on the hip-hop game and just bringing the fashion sense into it. Your first, I think, love of sneakers came from a Reebok pumps with the tennis balls when you were younger. Yeah, that's actually, you must have did your homeworks. Yeah, that was it. That that no, that no started it. I feel like there was, uh, there was so many different brands at that time. But marketed to as a child, it was the Reebok pumps and the LA gear light-ups. The light-ups wasn't really like for the grown-ups. So I didn't, I didn't, I always wanted to be like the grown-ups. I always wanted to dress in the shit that they didn't have the kids versions in. But when they, they did an ad when I was little, and it was like the pump with the basketball joint on it. It was a pump with a tennis ball. And I think it was a pump with a baseball. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, that's the coldest shit I ever seen, bro. <laughs> You know what I mean? Still to this day, Pump still got their life. You know what they I mean? Like, just the whole thing, like, pump this bitch up and you'll jump higher. Like, I was not about to jump higher, but who was going to tell me any different, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, I think, you know, style and functionality of where sneakers went from when I was a kid to when I really started knowing that that was really like an attachment to your leg and it could say more for you is like, you know, you be in school, some you be in school, middle school, you know, somebody got a pair of Jordans on, they don't even gotta worry about shit for the rest of the day. Now it's not the same. It's like Jordans ain't gonna get you, they ain't gonna save you from getting your ass whooped like it used to. No. Like, motherfucker will definitely save you, uh keep you from any sort of inconvenient lunch table roasts or none of that. You just had a pair of them bitches on as long as you didn't lay lay some whack, you could survive. It's like that type of cool ain't. It's just not there right now. No. I mean, people build shit for scarcity and, you know, greed is a motherfucker. Because it's like, while capitalism works on, you know, good for certain shit, it works bad when it's bad and works good when it's good. And we just are in the bad, bad part of it. Throughout your time with the cool kids and everything that you've done independently and solo work, has there been any sneaker companies that have reached out to you and interest in a collaboration and making a cool kid sneaker? Dog. I almost feel like I'm the one in class like they're gonna call me last but it's gonna be like the best moment like I'm just in class with my hand up like but it's getting closer because I'm seeing how Joe flipped the world up and that's like my twin we got the same birthday man we like very close friends me and Joe, Joe Fresh Goods but seeing how he and created his narrative and like the way people didn't gone off just his colorways and his ability to you know, fill something up with something like, it's like cool. It's like, it's like, it's like air. It's like water. It's like, you know what I'm saying? When you see air in a tire, you see water in something that you inflate. It's like, you look at what he puts out and you know, you know, it wasn't just like, eh, 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 let's put it out. That was like, damn, I'm going to think this color through or this color remind me a wall off something. So I choose the same type of violence. I'm just waiting for my shot. And then I done done enough where it's like you walk up to companies with your shit, but everything is leverage. And I hate to say that it's clout in some, some forms of fashion. Like, you know what I mean? Like academics could get a sneaker before me. Which is ridiculous. No, not not to him, but I'm just telling you a fact. Yeah. That we don't live in a world where like, you could put out a dope song and 
it'll give more coverage than six nine doing something stupid. Or, you know, a rapper's baby mama can get a shoe before I could. Not that it's gonna be fresh. I'm just telling you everybody oh, it is. Yeah. it's numbers and analytics on everything. You know what I'm saying? A song don't gotta be good to get a deal for it. No. You know, you you out here with a song and that shit got three thirty five, forty five million TikToks, they're gonna be up your ass. You know who I think would do a dope collaboration with you is Ewing because he gives back to a lot of hip hop artists. Ah, uh, shit! I do Ewing, I do Pony, I do uh, like any of them tennis joints. Um, I know that whatever I get, I could whip it different. You know what I mean? Like if I thought it was fresh and in, 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 in initially to work with them. Like my brain will start going off in other departments where it's like, all right, no, nah, we're gonna line that up like that. And I'm obsessed with symmetry, like colors. You know what I mean? But I'm, we're gonna keep speaking it up, man. Somebody gonna give me more shit one day, and then it's gonna be nonstop. You know what I mean? Um, but like that's why I feel like New Balance is back is not even back. They got a whole nother, it's a whole nother world now. You know what I'm saying? Like it is. It's a dope man shoe. It's a classic shoe. If you walk around and you see anybody in them 550s, uh, you already know what type of time they thinking on. It's like you don't just wear those because you don't just wear those. You don't know enough about them to wear them like that. No. So that That's starting to bring back where it's a lot like they're exclusive. Is you know if you know. You know that colorway if you know. Like they're all out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like even when Jordans was like that when I was younger. Wasn't that you couldn't get them? You could get them. It was just the price. You had to wake up early to get them. And it was how you want. You know what I mean? You tie your shit up too tight. Everybody know you don't know enough. <laughs> and they came out at a weird time too, because everyone's so used to the drops now being on Saturdays. It used to be on Tuesdays. Yeah. Yep. Used to be on Tuesdays at noon. I'll never forget that shit. Jordan had motherfuckers skipping school. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've heard you say, I I, I think it might have been directly from you. I've heard it in the past in in which you said that that there were times where I think it was your father that took you to the sneaker stores and he was like, how about the Kemps? You can get the Sean Kemps. (laughs) (laughs) That story is different. It's like um, my dad had a budget. I think it was like 80 for me, like 65 50, 65 for my brother. So I'm like in sixth grade. So most of the fresh shit is out and it's 80. Like shit wasn't really cracking. I think Jordan's was 125. The uh, patent leather 11s that came out, which was like Christmas time of 95, right before 96. Mm -hmm. Right before Christmas time, like basketball season. Because Jordan used to watch, he used to drop his, Initial colorway right before, if you play basketball, like a month before tryouts, that's when his shit used to come up. And uh, I was at a sports authority. I remember this shit like yesterday. And it was a pair that was like a size four. Well, I think that's what my brother wore, like a size four, size five youth. And that bitch was just sitting there. Just My brother went right over to him. My dad was like, yeah, just put him in the, bu- just put him in the uh, basket. I was like, damn. Cause my size was 125 and they was gone and I had to get on like some sort of list. My dad said, them Reeboks right there, they cold. I'm like, fuck man. 
It wasn't like Rock and Sean Kemp's was whack. It's just like, damn, bro. You know what I mean? Because it's like I knew how to be fresher than what I was dressing at that time. It's just you can't tell. Like, without straight A's, I wasn't getting nowhere with my parents. I was like a I was like a B plus, B plus, B minus student, which ain't bad, but that do not make your parents B students don't make their parents proud. You'd rather, like, get a D and get some sort of fucking excitement out of them, you know? <laughs> like, at least my kids don't fuck up. No, my kid's just an average-ass student who just does his homework. <laughs> he ain't getting no, no 90s on shit. I was a constant, like, 81, 85% on my paper. But also, like, my head was in a different... My head was... Uh, my imagination, I would draw a lot in school. I beat, I made beats on anything. Like I always been like, you know, the funny kid in class. So it was like, I was either making people laugh, drawing shit or listening to beats. I didn't give no fuck about, <laughs> I didn't care about like really being that good until my parents really started rewarding shit for good grades and not rewarding. I remember I was supposed to get a, uh, this all goes into that Jordan story, but I was supposed to get turntables like in 10th grade. It's like I'm a DJ now, but I always wanted to be a DJ. My dad had told me he was going to get them. But he asked me, like, I remember he asked me around spring break time, how them grades going to be at the end of the year? And I'm like, good. Hell yeah, they're going to be good. <laughs> Lo and behold, that was like the summer of, uh, that was like the summer of Napster. That was like the spring of Napster where everybody got Napster. Mm. Download everything from like, you know what I'm saying? You ripping porn, you you ripping movies, you ripping all sorts of different albums. My attention was not there. I remember my grades came and I had one D and my dad said, yep, I'm going to go spend this money somewhere else. And I was like, damn, got me again. So, yeah, that's how that went. Your introduction to hip hop, as far as you can go, as far as back to what your recollection is, is the Chronic and Crisscross. And Crisscross inspired the cool kids, but the Chronic was the first hip hop album that you remember seeing and hearing. I mean, the one that I paid attention to, yeah. Uh, the first one I saw, saw and heard was uh, uh, Paying Full. Mm. That was like the first album I came in contact with, rap wise. And then. Uh, then it was crisscross. Then I leave this out of a lot of stories. I don't know why. Mainly because I never met him. But me and uh, Speech from Arrested Development are cousins. We never wow. met them. You know what I'm saying? We like Mr. Wendell. Classic we like songs. Cousins. So around the time that shit came out, I was gone. I was like. You know, in the 90s, if you you had a celebrity, anything close to you, you got more excited. It wasn't that many celebrities. And, like, Tennessee was big as hell. Everyday people was big as hell. Mr. Wendell was big as hell. So, kind of went from crisscross to that. That to Diggable Planets. Like, Roof of Slick. Yeah, that song changed my life a little bit. But nothing had the identity to me like crisscross until Wu-Tang came up. And you were on Wu Tang to like 2002. I know that was a big influence for you. You were really I was on Wu Tang in '95. Yeah, it was like they played. Uh, they played. What was it? The Method Man. I don't know if it was, I came to bring the pain. They was bringing. They was playing that at the same time. They was playing Bone. And then like I would catch up to Cream, because it was like. Uh, 
Uh, M-E-T-H-O-D man is on. That was what it was. So that cream, um, thuggish, ruggish bone. Remember, like, I watched all them videos in a row, like, the day my parents got cable. You know, everybody didn't have cable. Like, every household didn't have cable in 94, 93, 94. I remember when we got cable, I put it on the box. I did not change that shit for, like, three, four straight days. No. So that's kind of, like, my rap trajectory. But also, you know, I didn't have, like, the parents that just let you listen to everything. Like, they were approving shit. So I didn't really get to listen to what the fuck I wanted to till like seventh grade. Yeah. So you had to wait some time. I remember hearing that. I think it was in kindergarten. Sneak. I had to sneak. I had to have my grandfather buy East 1999. I had my grandfather buy Dog Pound. But it wasn't like I was sneaky. It wasn't like albums that my mom said I couldn't have. I just wait till they came out. My grandfather is a retired Air Force. So we used to go out to the base because that was his thing. He just like, man, anything you want to do, just... Let's go out to the base to get it because he got a discount. It's no tax. So I remember getting uh, like a lot of those CDs with the parental advisories on it through my grandfather. Shout out to the original Chuck. That's right. And, and that's what inspired your name. And then for the last name, it's a flip on your real last name. And then one time you were in the mall and you saw someone wearing an Alex English jersey. Um. Yeah. That was uh, the Alex English it used to just be English. That was like my production name on everything. And then it was like those singular name dudes. It's just like, come on, bro. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're not about the singular name this. And then um yeah, the Chuck kind of came through Mikey. And uh yeah, that's the correct story. But yeah, I saw the Alex English jersey. I actually saw it on Fabulous and the Bow Wow basketball video, the Like Mike soundtrack. When I seen the jersey, I was like, damn, because I was already going by English. Like, I was going to go by English with the E, just Evan. And then, you know, that's my real name. And then, you know, it, it went well together. Then I flipped that shit up, and it's been like that ever since. And it's stuck in its work, man. You've established yourself as a household name in hip hop and you're ready to reinvent yourself and get more fans in here. But you, you had an interesting life growing up in Detroit on the East side and moving to Mount Clemens where your father grew up and in playing sports, you started out early as a swimmer and playing in a multi-diverse basketball league, playing T-ball. And you actually wanted to play catcher. And I think you had some experience in high school playing catcher, but the coach, you didn't eventually get the main role because he knew a few other people. I think it was like yeah, two other students. Like- yeah, playing baseball in a Catholic high school, that shit was like a lot of politics. I wouldn't yeah. say it was like race thing, but it was like politics. <clears throat> and it was kind of race because white coaches saw you as a base base dealer. So they didn't really see you like – it wasn't seeing black players like how they were seeing their white players. And like I said, certain shit is, is evil. Certain shit is wrong. Certain shit is unfortunate. A certain shit is just the way it is because don't nobody know any different. So it could come off as all four of those different degrees of disappointment, but I've always been able to understand the placement of shit. So I also was growing into my bones at that time. So my arms stopped working and my knees were weird. 
because I've gone like grown like almost five, six inches in the past like two years. So when I got to the high school after playing quarterback all through Little League and could throw the ball, out of nowhere I couldn't throw. Out of nowhere, you know, it was hard for me to be on my knees in a catcher's position because I had like this kind of knee growth shit that a lot of kids get called Osgood Schlottis. Or it's just like your plates ain't catching up with your bone growth. So you had to deal with a lot of soreness. And um, so being in a catcher's position and throwing a ball was kind of out. And I didn't know what else to play. You know what I mean? Like I tried pitcher, but I couldn't do that either. So, um, yeah, sports, sports was, sports was it. But sports teaches you a lot, man. It kind of like primes you for disappointment. Like, you ever lost a big game? I've never won a championship, but I've lost I've lost a buzzer beater game. I've lost um a punt return for a fucking touchdown, walk-off touchdown against the rival school with the news choppers in the sky and all that shit. I've um I've experienced that type of pain that rounds you out. That makes other chapters of your life seem easier because you understand that shit goes with shit like to win there has to be a loser and sometimes it could be you you know what i mean like no one goes undefeated their whole life no so yeah that was an important part of a lot of the shit i did and gave me insight to i just didn't want to do that shit on the next level i wanted to be an artist because i had more control of my destiny and the one sport that taught me that was wrestling when i started wrestling i realized like it's only you. You like you can't get fake beat. You can't get you can't not fake start. Coach can't put you on the bench. Like everything is just on you. If you if you the best, you the best. So that taught me a lot. It, it was a dream for you to play football at Michigan. That was a dream once, but you were also interested in acting because when you were younger, you'd play basketball outside and you would take over whatever character it was that you were playing in the playground, taking on, whether it was the, the bad guy or even eventually portraying Donatello in your own way. You always had an interest yeah, no, in acting. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just like that was playing outside as a kid. Yeah. You're, you're basically acting. I mean, I've gotten to entertain that as of recent and now it's starting to build more because that's like my next endeavor is just writing writing from this imagination of mine and, and acting out characters that I know people can relate to, <clears throat> have seen or can inspire you know um, it's the same thing with music it's like I create these little worlds that could get up and walk on their own and I feel like we're just not at the music era right now. <clears throat> it's just, it's just as important as it is, we're not in the music era. No. Some of the biggest artists, best artists right now are still like, you know, they're making their money, but there's no focus on it. There's no focus on it because there's no focus on the medium. If music was important, be trying to sell it in something that you could have. You know what I mean? Like they don't want you to have it. It's more lucrative for them to rent it out to you. So everybody's just Airbnb and music. <clears throat> Think about film is, you know, it comes with merchandise. It comes with things you can own. Blu-rays didn't stop. Uh, you know, you can do a digital movie, but real film heads, I know, they don't do that shit. 
they don't buy it on their on their Apple TV because if something was to happen, they can't watch it. That's what people aren't gonna go without. <clears throat> the thing is, is like we're watching a lot of shows be big, but they don't have any archival sets. So like, it's a reason why there's just so many shows, but movies are different. You know, like you take a movie like Tenet, people are gonna have what they have to say about it, but it is what it was. And people are still buying into that. Like as time passes, they're starting to realize like, damn, that was the one. I just want to be a part of that too. Um, in my own way, same way I was with music and then fuse the music together. But um, yeah, I'm going to do it all, man. Like I'm just do it all my way. That's the plan. That's why it's like, it feels good to be where I'm at right now. Cause I actually feel and can act on the motivation to, continue this and not just really care about what I did before because I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I, I do. Like, Black Mags was tight. Like, all that shit was tight. Pennies was tight. NBA Live 09 was tight. That was then. It was like, I was doing shit. I was doing tight shit then. Like, I want to do more now. Like, there are people that hold and rock their history and their book bag like it's something to honor, but I'm outside with real kids. Like, with real people that you know, are consuming the products we put out and they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit, bro. They'll eat up. You could be the hottest thing today. They'll eat your ass up tomorrow. That's a fact. Like you can see, you can name any artist, bro. One bad headline, they'll be chewing you the fuck up. Cause there's no love there. No. You didn't do enough. Luckily for me, like when I walk outside, I can hear the love that people felt me put into shit, but they still will fry my ass, bro. Like, ain't nobody safe. So it's like, you got to start moving different and start, you know, preparing your works with that intention. Like, where if somebody loves your shit so much that, you know, like, it's almost like Isaiah Rashad, the, the wild ass sex take come out with you and people like, shit, man, we shouldn't have been in that boy business. You're like, yeah. <clears throat> and that was the first time I ever seen that shit happen. <laughs> You know what I mean? But he didn't leave nobody with nothing to hold on to, like, where they would turn on him. It's like, luckily for us at this time, it's like, bro, whatever you do, however you do it, people ain't judging you for that. It's your business. But, you know, if you were standing on something, you was over, you know, preaching with your chest out, you know, speaking down on certain people, you know, acting holier than now, being like, you know who I am? Oh, nah, they'll fry you. They ain't letting shit slide. No, not in this day and age. And speaking of acting, too, because you, you went to college, you were studying digital filmmaking, you were writing scripts in college, and you actually got 100 for a script that you wrote in college, and just getting your part on The Hustle, The Widows with Viola Davis and Liam Neeson. And you actually, which was really interesting to learn about, was that you auditioned for Ice Cube's part in Straight Outta Compton, and you got called back twice, but didn't unfortunately get the part. But you got those two callbacks right there, because people have always said that you look like Ice Cube. Yeah. Nah, that shit was tight. But yeah, no, like, that's pretty much the history. It's just going at a pace that I know I can operate at. And, um, you know, not being scared to try things. Like, I don't know if that was my time, but, like, when I got in the Widows, I was one of the better, I was one of the better days because it's like, okay, these doors are opening and showing me that this route works too. So just add more to that, man, and just put it all in a pot and let it simmer. Because people are not just buying 
your music, they're kind of buying into you. And uh, if it's something that they can see themselves in or be inspired by, you 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 can keep you can keep your customers. You know, some people might be customers, some people might be fans, some people might love you, but just even having those tears is important. Cause like the customers will fuck around and start loving you more and start bringing in more customers. So like, it's a um, it's a nice functional cycle. That's right. You're mastering your acting craft. You're ready to take on things, but your music thing really started to take off when you were playing drums when you were younger because you were playing it in the church and you actually got to stand in ovation when you first had your drum set and playing in yeah. church. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that's for real. That was like, no, it was the first day that, uh, like the the lead drummer of the church, he's that taught me how to play. He used to like let me play one song when uh, the choir was letting out. And he ended up having to go. I don't know what it was, but he couldn't stay in church the whole day. And I just kind of told me, hey, yo, you know, chill out. Don't don't be trying to do too much. Then I sat down and I just started playing and just said, fuck it. You know, like I'll ask for forgiveness before I ask for permission. So, uh, yeah, that led to all this, man. It's just the drums was my first love. Uh but yeah, you're dead right. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Making your own makeshift drum set, and then your father bought you your official drum set in fifth grade. Yes, he did. He ain't buy the cymbals though. I had to work. I had to work for the cymbals, and I I got some good grades and got my cymbals. That was a great day too. I remember that shit. That shit was tight. This all paved your way to the craft here of producing and pulling up to even open mics and playing the drums at, at these open mics for freestyling artists. Yeah, when I was in uh, college, that was like a big thing I would do. Is they would have drums at the open mic and either somebody be playing a key, like the keys or stand up bass. And I kind of would just find a rhythm everybody could rap at. So, yeah, that was, those were the pure days, man. Open mic days. I ain't even seen an open mic as a reason. Um, but yeah, those were the days, man. The Neptunes in Search of that was an, an album that inspired you sonically. That 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 was a big that had a big impact when you first heard that. Yeah, that and the uh, Chaos and Exit album. Uh, it was like a great use of live drums inside of rap, which I wasn't exposed to as much at that time. <clears throat> um, but like seeing that and feeling that. It just fused all of this like inspiration for me because if I know it can be done, then art that's all I need. That's all I need for inspiration is just knowing that it's a possibility. And then from there, I'll create all the steps that I need to get there. So, yeah, the cool kids come about. We we all know that story of with the mutual friend linking you up with Mikey. And then taking off on MySpace. Now, how do you reflect on that time and just how MySpace went away? And now we see the emergence of Instagram and TikTok and how music is now looked at. The source of social media has become what the music industry looks at now. I mean, yeah, that's just, I mean, you nailed it on the head, but that's just why it sucks, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, People can fake their like numbers if, too. Um, it's like if ringtones actually decided where music was gonna go. This is just the evil. This is the evil ringtone. 
You know what I mean? It's the same type of dopamine. It's the quickness. It's everybody can share it. It's kind of like a social status. Um, like for example, like Jack Harlow's my homie, bro. Like I love that dude. But when the first class song came out, I didn't even hear it. I, I didn't even like stop to hear music that week because I was finishing up shit and noticed that like, damn, when I heard the album, like I never heard first class. I just heard this section being repeated every fucking where I went. So it's like, we're not even enjoying music. We're just slutting it out. And uh, yeah, it's not the most promising time, bro. Like I don't, I don't know what I would tell an up and coming artist. I don't know what I'm telling. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like everything that I thought would work, it works for me. Might not work for you. Like I actually want shit to be fresh and like different. But if that's not the meter people are working at, then I don't know what to tell you. When I came up, fresh and different was how to get on. Now it's do you got a TikTok dance to go with that song? <laughs> <laughs> How many numbers do you have on Instagram? How, how many likes do you have? And and, and all that could be fraudulent too. They even help you. They just want you to be tight before yeah. they even show up. So it's unbelievable, especially for creatives in, in your lane and just how you came up in the industry. And and I always look at it as because I've heard you say in the past, just when you listen to some of these albums today, they use the same snares. It's the same hi hats. They don't change anything up even on the production side. So how do you stay creative in this mindset? And do, do you ever just sit back and just say to yourself, man, why am I trying this hard when all these uh, other people are just going uh, through in the industry, just coming through these turnstiles and not putting in the work and being different? I work because that's what I was going to do anyway. Me giving the most, giving my all, making shit sound different is to appease myself. Like, I'm not hard on myself, but I'm not letting shit slide. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially creatively, that's something my mother used to tell me that, you know, let's just say I go to go back to school and there was like a, a little bit of pizza sauce on your homework. Most kids would be like, ah, oh, it's pizza sauce. I'm turning in anything. My mother used to be like, you put your name on that. So when people see it, your name is on it. Subconsciously, anything you put your name on that isn't the best you could do lets people know that that's what your, your name ain't worth shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's worth some pizza sauce or a couple wrong answers. And I know that, <clears throat> you know, my name's dinner bigger than me. There's people that I heard Chuck English who couldn't fucking tell you what I look like if they wanted to. So that's the testament to everything, every small detail. I'm not letting nothing be loud. There's no pops or clicks in my joints. There's no everything's crossfit, every single small meticulous thing that I know that people don't, that's because of me. Like, I have to care. And that's kind of what keeps me motivated. Like, I was going to always try to impress myself. Because without that, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't think anybody does. <clears throat> I can wake up and keep doing the same shit every day, or I can keep waking up and trying to do something different every day. And that's the difference between how I see shit and how shit's going. You're always ahead of the curb. 
before shit got weird, do you see things changing as far as how these record labels and how people approach music, just looking at it from the social media point of view and go, and potentially turning back to looking at artists such as yourself and how you came up in the game? Do you ever see it going back to that way of how it was eventually? Uh, I, I hope, but <clears throat> it would have to be like, um, through some sort of like retro futurism where people are with enough money are like, damn, we want to bring out record stores that look like record stores from back in the day. Or people want to participate in like, I call it like retro or past novelty. Like, you know, there's people that'll go to old video stores. But that, the video store was built like this month and they built it specifically to have the same feeling that it would have had in 1990 and 1991, like popcorn, everything, same register. The only way I think we get back to something that's collectible is if our outlets <clears throat> allow it. You know, it wouldn't hurt Spotify to have a record store. It wouldn't hurt them to produce, you know, some of the hottest things they have on their services, physical product. But, you know, gross capitalism doesn't, work like that so it would take you know fans that want it uh people that love music that want it maybe even improvements to mediums where it's like <clears throat> you know this device you have in your house and spin your vinyl play your cd you know record your stream music to cd like some sort of all-in-one home entertainment center mm-hmm. that's the only way i see it going back to anything else other than just first week numbers and fresh new finds and rap caviar and all that shit. It's like, it's nowhere for it to exist. So it's only going to behave according to where its potentials are. And music's potential is fucking nothing. It's literally just zeros and ones. It has nothing. It's nothing. It's just literally shit you don't see, shit you can't hold, ain't no packaging on it. There's nothing there. So, I mean, I make it, so I obviously know how much that sucks, but there's no really way to change it. You just got to kind of make it because you know that people are listening and they don't really give a fuck about the novelty that I experienced as a child. They just, they're still listening to it in their room when their headphones getting lost in it the same way I did. They don't, the only way they see it is they didn't have to go to the store and spend $18 on some shit. They might not listen to all of it for so. Agreed. You came up in the best time in 1990. You were in first grade. So you saw the emergence of Blockbuster, these toy innovations, movies, music, everything that that was going on at that time. But you also had the negatives of society in which you said you had crack out there. So then you had Michael Jordan. And then you look at, oh, I think the screen is frozen. Can you see me? Now I can see. Can you hear me still? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I was saying, you caught my point. So you were growing up, you were in first grade, so all these toy innovations were happening, all these big-time movies. You you were growing up watching Ghostbusters. The music was great during that time, but you also had the negatives in society at that time, which was crack. And then you said you had Jordan, then you had AIDS going on, and you had Nintendo. What is the distraction today now that we're in the COVID-19 pandemic? What would you say is the main distraction? numbers just like seeing new artists talk about 
their new song is over 50,000 streams and making like a, a fucking Photoshop flyer about it. It's like, dude, none of that shit matters, bro. And it's like, the more we care about it, the more we give in less value because 50,000 streams ain't shit. You can't even, <clears throat> you damn near can't even buy a McDonald's meal with that. So us caring about numbers is the distraction. Because if we didn't, we'd all be acting different. It's like, you know, everything's engagement. Everything that you do as a content creator, if you're a content creator, it ain't about the creation. It's about how many fucking engagements you got so you can leverage your money against what the advertisers are spending. It's just a shit show. And numbers play a factor into everything today, no matter what it is. So there goes that. They're not fucking real. There's no telling. There's no way to audit them. And if you do audit them, you'll get a real bad surprise that a lot of them are, you know, bots that create other bots that create other bots. Like they got self-replicating bots. They got like bots that can create other pages that respond human, that listen to shit, uh, that tweet shit. Like it's all fucked up. But it's kind of tight because it's like super fucked up. Instead of just being half fucked up, it's like really bad and evil. So it's like there's only one other way that it could go next. And that's like in a good direction. And it's surprising that some of these record labels don't have a checks and balances system on these artists. Because if you look at it, and it's surprising to me that the artists want to live a lie. But then there's you have that fake it till you make it stage. But you're someone that's always kept it real, kept it honest. Because you're someone that's said in the past that you hate lying. Because sometimes if you're a bad liar, you can't back it up. And then you have to stay on track if you're a liar with all your stories to back that one lie up. Yeah, lying is super inconvenient. It's like, yeah, it's super inconvenient and stressful. So you might as well just tell the truth. Like, I mean, we could have put on the front that the album charted all this shit. You know, what does number one on Billboard mean besides to advertisers? It doesn't mean shit. It doesn't feel like nothing. It doesn't carry nothing. Like, being platinum in the streaming era doesn't mean people left their house and went to buy your shit. Like, they can end up listening to your shit because they heard you shit on yourself. Now you platinum because you shit on yourself. That's not the same as somebody getting in their car or leaving school and walking to Circuit City and standing in line to buy your album and then you went platinum. Like platinum don't mean shit. Sales don't mean shit. All that matters is how many people was at that crowd that actually cared about your song at your show, you know? Yeah. But everything changes. Everything goes through dips and, and, and turns and twists and slow points and fast points. So it's kind of like just being patient and knowing that <clears throat> You know, the next generation kids might want more and then they'll have the money to dictate because everybody's catering to the youth. But, you know, the past couple generations was just whipping and nay nay and now them kids is mid 20s. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> <laughs> now they're talking shit about the new kids like they wasn't whipping and nay nay and all that. So. <laughs> I was I grew up in the whipping nay nay generation. I wasn't whipping the nay nay. I was listening to the cool kids and mob deep and Wu Tang and. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Remember the Backpack Kid and, yeah. and Silento? And that's just like, them kids is, is grown now. That's almost yeah. six, seven years ago. No, that's, <laughs> it seems a long way, but, you know, it really isn't that too far away. But I, I remember that era and just, 
the Iraq and how you guys came up and just hearing the stories of when you had that ankle injury because you were on Viking and you were on the couch and that's when you were making beats and then eventually led you to going on tour after the Iraq song with MIA. Yeah. Um, the Black Mag song kind of got us there. Mm-hmm. I didn't end up doing a video for Iraq. I just believed in Black Mags more. But yeah, that's that's like, I mean, you've done your homework. That's pretty much how it happened. Um, and, you know, think about it. Like I was the whipping nene age at that time, you know, like, but what we were looking at was, like the gorillas, uh, like Danger Mouse, and you're just seeing all these awesome things become pop. So if you celebrate the shit that that's really good, people will do better shit. If you celebrate the shit that's mid, that's like, you know, so and so challenge so and so to a boxing match, and that gets more coverage than a. Uh, a brand new single from your favorite artist, you're going to start thinking different. You're like, oh, maybe I should fucking box them, you know? So it's a lot of, it's like, it's like rewarding systems and humans like, re- like humans love being rewarded. So I feel like that's the difference between my time and when I started to now. And you you just did some impeccable things. I mean, you're going on tour with Maroon 5. How was that experience and working with Maroon 5 as well? Uh, we did a remix album for them. I think we might have did one show, but we didn't do a tour with them. Um, I was just accepting, man. I was just being really present at that time because I always, ex- I mean, I expected, I expected to perform on a high level. So when that shit started happening, I wasn't shocked. I was just more prepared to work harder. That's just kind of how I am, no matter what. I'm just always ready to work harder and smarter and more efficient. I just make sure I'm doing the best thing that I can do. Travis Barker was someone else that brought you on tour and, and something that you observed from him when he was hitting the practice pad. And that, that goes back to that whole maniac thing because you noticed that this is why he's one of the greatest at what he does because he's constantly practicing. Is there something that you took from working with these artists outside of hip-hop that you were able to apply to your craft of producing and writing in hip-hop? That specific, that specific moment you just brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing Travis, you know, on a on an arena tour with Lil Wayne as just a drummer. He doesn't even sing. He literally had an opening slot uh, as a drummer. So this that's the pinnacle of what you can do. And uh, on his downtime, it wasn't anything else but practice. You know, he had a he had a drum pad by his bed. You know what I mean? Like everywhere he goes, his rudiments before the shit is practice. There's really no other thing I could have seen that like made me know what comes with being better. It's not talking about it. It's not even thinking about it. It ain't manifesting shit. It's literally routine and repetition because you leave your brain no room for like error. Like you know it too well. It's, it's what you do. It's what you do naturally. It's almost like people don't take bad breaths 
Like when you breathe through your nose, it's because you've done it fucking millions of times. Um, that's what I took. So that was pretty much it. That was like the one thing. You know, I always search for where I can learn. I love to learn. I don't demand people teach me. So when I get to see it happen and I see somebody I look up to or respect do it, it's like, all right, I'm going to take the best parts of what you do. That's why it's like I always got to watch, you know, be more conscious of what I'm doing because somebody could be watching me and being like, oh, that's how Chuck does it. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my own way. And that's all I can do. That's all I want to leave people with. Is, you know, I got good ways of doing shit, but I also am still learning. But the things I do really well, when people can see me do it, and I know that I'll be leaving them with something. The NBA 2K Bounce Tour with Q-Tip in 2008, that'd be rewarding for you being a hip-hop head. No, that shit was different. That was a good time. Um, same thing with him, you know, just seeing people that I looked up to and respected see me for what I wanted them to see me for. It's, been, it's always been worth the journey. You know, being recognized by your peers is where, where it's at. Because then you know you're good. If you got, you know, your peers are good, they're not telling you you're good because of, of clout. It's just like they can respect the moves. You know, when you see being basketball players' favorite basketball players, a good spot to be in. Being a rapper's favorite rapper, it's a good spot to be in because you know it's from respect. It's a, it's a level of respect and, and slight awe that you can do something that they can do, but you might be better at it, so. Proud achievement was when you saw that the bake sale, which is your album with the cool kids, you and Mikey's, when you saw it going on sale for $95 next to the Beastie Boys album in a record shop. Yeah, it was an amoeba. Yeah. Yeah, I felt good, man. But that's what I wanted to happen. So it's like, when you intend it and you see it, it's just like shooting a shot and watching it go in. But you got to have quick, you got to have the quick memories, kind of like, football, whether you threw a touchdown or you threw an interception, the next play is the next play. So to see those things, it rewards me. It doesn't reward anybody else. It just, I know where I saw my music being considered, and it's it has that type of weight with people. That's all I needed. You know, every artist wants looks and satisfaction from their projects. It's like, for what? You know, you can do it for yourself, but to do it as a business, you got to think a little different and you got to want the viewers and consumers to have something that they attach their mind, soul and pockets to that makes it valuable because it ain't valuable unless people feel like it is like that album wasn't $95 when it came out. You know what I mean? But, you know, it became a classic over time and the underground appreciated it. The cool kids fans appreciate it. So we know the value of it. And, you know, that that's the, what the newer generation is going to lack. Are we going to be celebrating albums that are coming out right now that are supposedly doing number one on Billboard? Are we really going to be celebrating them 10 years from now, like the bake sale? I mean, the bake sale, it wasn't like a card stock on the wall with nothing, no music. It was a vinyl. Yeah. Well, it has to be something, you know, like people saw the artwork in this dimension. It wasn't on their computers. So I feel like that that's important part of respecting music is like can people hold it it's like how are they gonna value it how are you gonna say an album is this 
when you have to go to a site to listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just put it on whenever. You can't put it on without no internet. No. I want, you know, I put out music that if you follow along, like, you know, getting things done on the vinyl tip now is a little bit more stressful, especially on the underground. But I've never not made an album that was specifically for collection. You know, I want it to be collected. So that's kind of how I feel like that album has grown with people. It's like people can still see the CD, the memories attached with the CD. Some people got signed versions, you know, the vinyl, seeing the track list, seeing how long each song is on the vinyl sticker, like that shit matters. And it's like, it, it, it's not in high demand, but it matters. When doing my research and learning about you, which was interesting, you were someone that didn't want to be well-known at first. And then I'm just hearing these stories about Vince Staples telling that he'd rather work a regular job than have the Eminem fame. Is fame overrated? Because I even had an interview with Ryan Fest, and he said that I used to want to be famous, but not anymore. I prefer living comfortable. Is fame overrated in your mind? It's a very good question. Thank you. Um, what I will say is, Fame is kind of how you respect it. You know what I mean? Like, I got homies that are famous, and they'll show up to, like, a restaurant and got, like, six security guards with it. It's like, people gonna react to how you play it. I've been in spots where it's, like, my crowd, my, like, genre of people been sitting in a restaurant by myself just eating or reading something or reading a book or whatever. And while people might walk up to me and be like, oh my God, like I like to introduce myself. They respect my time. They respect my placement. They respect like whatever mood I was going through. Um, I don't share that much. So it's not like somebody knows about my relationships or, you know, what I do from day to day. I think that there's a beauty in recognition. But like fame comes in so many different burrito wraps, bro. Like it's it's so many it's corn, it's flour, it's spinach. It's like you can get an infinite amount of wraps for your fame. What I do feel like is it's a lot of people that are artists that don't have the whole thing together. Nothing really bothers me. Like I don't know if it was somebody that walked up on me and was in my space uncomfortably. I wouldn't even overreact. I know how to get you out of my shit. Don't even got to be physical. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Being kind of like a wizard of how people work, how worlds work, how energies work. It's like you could, you could do it, but it's like our fame and how we handle shit. It's like America eats its young. So... You know, you want to share and you want to show the world your innocence and you want to, like, write open letters on the notes app telling people how you feel emotionally. While that's good in theory, bro, that shit is stupid. Because you have to be aware. It's like, we didn't have fame, but it's cooled off, it's gone higher, you can be in certain spots where it didn't. Like, people fucking fuck with you the same way they did when it first came up. It's like, can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you understand that 
there's something there that you used to be like. So it's like, you know, empathy in that in that area also can keep you from being so frustrated. But that's my take on it. But yeah, fame is a little. It's just like bullshit. It's like a drug that that feels really good the first time you do it, and you fucking do it for the next fifteen years, trying to figure out why it doesn't feel like it did the first time. Mm-hmm. So, um, working towards it, trying to build towards it is almost, I want to say, suicidal. Because a lot of the people I know that have gone so, through some of the darkest shit. It's like a self-reflection isn't giving you the picture you want because there's nothing to back up what you're trying to be famous for. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you famous for? I know what I'm famous for, and I can live with that shit. I'm actually cool with that shit. You know, even if it's not, you know, music. Let's just say you're only on social media, like, People tell me like, oh, uh, I follow you on Twitter, man. I, I, I love what you tweet. All right. I can roll with that. It ain't, I'm controversial. I'm not like a shock jock. I'm just sharing little small high thoughts that I got in the middle of the day. This shit, I can fuck around and say something that didn't even really register to me. Go home, check Twitter. It's like 50,000 retweets, all that shit. I'd rather be known for something I am and what I do than just be known. So that's when the shit gets a little overrated because it's like, it's almost like acid, not the drug acid, but like acid can bind a lot of shit. It has a lot of different properties as far as like cleaning and what it can do to metals and shit. But you get it on your skin and it should eat through you. So you can hold acid in a beaker, but you get it on your arm, it ain't nothing to play with. No. That's how I feel like fame is just you gotta keep that shit in a beaker. I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's important that you shed light on that issue. Another thing I, I love to you to shed attention on, just your thoughts on and when I, I did an interview with Asher Roth because I asked him about his journey and just how he, he took a break from music and him going through mental things and getting back on track in his musical career and him talking about potentially getting a regular job. Then you hear these stories about Styles P and because it, it did, he's not giving them the royalties and they're not making enough money and they need to tour to even make money now. Do you think there are legends and even just artists in the game that we know that are working regular jobs behind the scenes. Hell yeah. yeah. <clears throat> if you're not, then you're keeping up a facade that's not that's not sustainable. Um, like I said, I made certain sacrifices. Like I didn't give up on all my relationships, but all of that shit was like I know what I'm doing here, bro. So it's like I'm in a situation, girls like, oh, we've been together four years. What are we doing next? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I really don't. I'm not toxic. I ain't never said nothing wrong. I, I I know how to show love and affection, but past this point, if this is where you gotta get off, this is where you gotta get off. Mainly because I know how temperamental the money is. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I capture hit my little twenty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand dollar moves. 
And then I might not see a check for a minute. I can't live with nobody with that. I can't like raise no kids off that. So if that was the case, I would have figured out a way to have a job too. But I also do that. Like I started a catering company, um, starting a consulting company. I have an events company. Um, all the things that I do outside of music, I kind of incorporate it. And, you know, I've catered shit. I've, you know, it's, it's stupid to think that this is something that makes you rich anymore. There are people that can get rich, but it ain't going to make you rich anymore. Uh, not not with the type of greed that's going around. And how much money has to change hands before it hits to you, especially when it's done on, on a corporate level. It's like it's smart to – you shouldn't even have to humble yourself. You should come in, you know, understanding that either you're going to start a merch company from this you're going to start a, a food company from this. Everybody's got um, branches off from the music they make. And they, they did it in the era that we grew up in, too. Everybody had a clothing line or, um, you know, was on a UPN show or whatever way that they could maximize their financial potential with the music that they made. Because music's greedy, man. Music's greedy. Boxing's greedy. Anything with a lot of fame and a quick payout. You ain't gonna have the best people in there working. You just gotta either be the best fighter and have your business tight or get eaten alive. So, man, I understand that. And it's like legends are gonna have to do that too. But it builds a bigger community. You know, if there was hip hop restaurants and there's hip hop barbershops and now you got a whole world built off the music you listen to like Punk rock ain't get that far. You know what I mean? Like jazz didn't get that far. There's a couple of jazz cafes, but hip hop being one of the most influential art forms on this planet, there's <clears throat> too many ways to make money and it's too little ways to make money. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like both sides of the coin are doing the same thing. Yeah. You shed light on an important topic that I wanted to cover right there. And it's and that's a true inspiration and an important piece of just advice that you offer up right there and just your thought on it and what's really going on out here behind the scenes. Cause people think as soon as you get that hit record, you're rich and famous, but, and even you could be a legend in this game and you still got to put in the work behind the scenes, and even a regular job. And thank you for shedding light on that. I appreciate that just for the people who are listening and just getting into the cool kids. We're just hearing about the breakup because I remember hearing about when you guys broke up, you felt as though that the industry just sucked the fun out of the collaboration between you two because there was never anything personal in between you two. And when you guys got to back together, it was basically like an EPMD. You had some unfinished business, so you had to get back to business. Yeah, that's that's it. But more or less just knowing that this shit is going in the rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the fun of collaboration got kind of ripped from us doing legal pulling tugs and tug of wars with labels and managements and you know when it's not fun that's anything when it's not fun and it's something that you were able to turn 
a hobby into a entrepreneurship, you got to be careful, man, because you could get to a point where there's no going back. And I think me and him saw a time where I wasn't making beats. Like, I wasn't trying to keep up. I was doing shit. I made beat tapes during that era. And, like, I just was at somewhere, I think, Smokers Club, because I had, like, out of, out, of, out of, like, 100 people that walk up to me, I say 40, 35 to 40 talking about the instrumental tapes I dropped. And that was during Mikey's Banco era. So if you look at both of us, we're impacting shit in the same way in different directions. But if you try to put them two together, they don't fit. You know, I'm making like jazzy kind of down tempo trip hop shit that relaxed my soul. And, you know, he was out rapping everybody. He had, you know, crazy features. He had Tiana Taylor in a video. It was like we were seeing shit different, but we wasn't different. It's just there was no way for us to fuse that together and make it work because we didn't have like the management or label backing that would help us market. All right, there's these two independent artists. Y'all just seen them together, but now they're completely different. And I think the fact that we worked our worlds on our own really built it up so there was a staircase for us to meet back on. Um, and like, there's no other link, English language for recess or halftime or just a break. It's just, I knew to call it. And Mikey also knew <clears throat> there was things that he needed to see happen. You know what I mean? Like, and I was, we was, that was, it wasn't even about whether we were cool with it. It just wasn't up for debate. <laughs> Like, I always tell the stories, like, I seen a Peso video, and I was like, oh, it's a dub for a minute. Like, we're not about to try to chase ASAP and see who could have a cooler a cooler outing. Like, we don't even got budgets like that, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? We was doing the shit that the kids <clears throat> was listening to in high school, Rocky doing with the shit with the kids listening to in college. It's like, hip-hop wasn't letting shit coexist like that. But, you know, you look up and we run into Rocky and it's like the respect level and the way he tells the story of how we did that for him or Tyler and our future come right after that. And the story that they'll tell you about what we did for them. It was like, if we was in the way, I don't think, I don't think I would get that respect. It's like, you got to know when there's a car coming across the street. And now we all in a situation where it's like, you know, we still the same underground. Tyler, one of the biggest stars in the world. Rocky, one of the biggest stars in the world. It's like, yeah, I want to work on that level. I want the budgets to be in a studio like that, but I don't think I want the days that they got to go through to be where they're at. Cause it's like, I, I am reserved a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like my personal life is my personal life. Um, not saying that I would ever limit or compress any sort of success I was getting. It's just, we a group. They're individuals. You know what I mean? They can make decisions based off what they feel. Yeah. Me and Mikey got to make decisions off what's best for both of us. 
and we've done a really good job with that. So that's all I can say is like you gotta give shit time sometimes. That's that could be like you know, that's the thing that I feel like marriages and people in relationships can't put together because y'all put this paper in front of y'all. So even if it's business partnerships or you got to honor shit instead of like doing it on your own pace. Like if you trust that person, what the fuck we got to put this on the paper for? Because you be putting this on the paper in case I got to fuck you up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what, that's what the paper's there for. You putting this shit in the contract in case somebody fucks somebody else over, bro. Like, and that's not a good way to start off working. So we didn't, you know, just to clear it up, we didn't really break up. It's just, you got to give people something to write about. Now you can be a little bit more colorful with your story. People care about details. Like, then they ain't give a fuck. So it's just like, I remember Mikey did some shit with Judd Life and was just like, bro, we just about to break up for a minute. And I was like, all right. It's not like we can come up with a better <laughs> thing to do tomorrow. So let's do that. You guys still working on your own comedy sketch? I know there was a talk between you two. I know you were thinking about writing your own comedy sketch. I mean, we we had a sketch show. We ha- we have a sketch show, and then uh, we kind of like seeped it into the world like slightly. But if you check like the original Aug DVDs, it's a couple of me and Mikey's sketches inside of it. Um, there's that and the fact that we are writing it. But on this tip, it's like I don't have to move too fast. There's really like nothing really set in stone from streaming apps to streaming apps. Everything is still Wild West. So, um, they are clamoring for content. It's not like it's like a it's a buyer's market for them, and we're selling. So, <clears throat> just taking time and just making sure I write it in a way that is, you know, ground shifting. Even if it's comedy, I want it to be something that was like a universal like sigh of relief, uh, applause, laugh together. I just always want to put people on the same page without having them look alike. You know, people don't got to look alike. I actually don't even really believe in inclusion like that. It's like everybody can't do everything, bro. Exactly right. Everybody talks about equality, equality, equality. Equality just puts everything at zero, puts makes everything zero. Like tolerance, even though it sounds a little bit harsh, it's more the word people should use because it doesn't, it's not easy to, it's not easy to say, but it's the truth. Like people not equal because, you know, the same people that were against gay marriage five years ago or with it doesn't put them at zero. It means that they're tolerant. And if you preach that, you might get a better result than trying to be like, oh no, we're all the same. We're not the fucking same, bro. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the case. No. And I feel like I understand that about people a little bit more. Uh, people want to be in the same room. They just don't want to look. They don't want to have to change the way they look or do shit. People just don't want to be fried for what they are different. Like, you know, man, I know for a fact, fat, some, this some of the happiest people I know, fat as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's only because it's jokes on them that they're not comfortable with themselves. But everybody don't want to look alike. <laughs> I mean, you got like, for example... You know, people that, you know, get so discouraged of how they look and weight-wise, and they go on this super weight loss journey and shit, and then you end up with a whole sack of skin, bro, that you got to, at some point, either you got to get 
you know, plastic surgery. It's just like you you do it at your own pace, so you're gonna end up with a sack of skin. Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't the smallest dude, and I like to eat, bro. I'm the happiest you could be. I'm not going back and forth with people about that shit. Like, and shape is in your head. Yeah, like I ran a marathon. And I didn't even really train. It was one of the best things I ever did. That's right. So, in LA. Yeah, it's just like one of the funnest things I ever did. Like it was stupid. It was stupid hard. It was not fucking easy. You know what <laughs> I mean? But I wasn't like totally out of shape. I've always been kind of like athletic, even when I'm not. When I was an athlete, I was an athlete, but even unathletic in my own, you know, cycle routine, I could still like throw the ball. I could still walk up hills. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get out of breath. Um, But yeah, the the main point of what I was saying there is, you know, tolerance. And that's kind of what I want my art to be. Like, when you see somebody look totally different from you at the show, you be like, damn, you like this too? And y'all build a bond off that. That was what I know Cool Kids did. It's like, you can go anywhere in the world and y'all can look completely different doing totally different shit be like yeah now i fuck with the cool kids boom now it's a community of people that don't have to fake like they're the same he's like we're not the same bro someone's fucking seven foot is not the same as someone five ten but they can fuck with each other they can even get married but that five ten person shouldn't feel inadequate because they're not seven foot bro that's what inclusion treats you we're all seven foot. No, the fuck you're not. Like, like embrace the fact that you <laughs> don't look like that, bro. And, you know, I watch a lot of messages. I watch a lot of ad campaigns. And this was, that's what I was trying to tell you earlier. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to chill until I'm in that office so I can flush out the message a little bit better. Because if you're not outside, then you don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know. You don't know that everybody's kind of more the same. And don't need to be told that nothing's different. You get what I'm saying? Like the message in every art or every little anything is we're all we're all the same, really, but we're not. And that's what's breeding a lot of the confusion right now. It's like people aren't the same, and they're seeing um, the messages be forced on them that don't worry about that. Don't worry about the fact that you look nothing like the fact where you don't look like this, but we're going to tell you, you do like you're beautiful and you're sexy and you should model. And it's like, bro, you can't tell like a girl wasn't going to model, bro. Like, just not <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't have to do it because of guilt. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the main purpose. And just hearing about your journey and throughout getting your singles deals and and just how you were releasing your music through these distribution deals and hearing about, you know, just the fashion impact that you had on hip hop and people were biting your style. And even in the hip hop way, do you feel as though that there were some things pertaining to blackballing going on when it came to you guys as the cool kids in a way? Blackballing. Um, no. I think, hold on one second. Let me send this text message. Yeah. Time, bro, time is just, time is on crack. <laughs> it's fleeting. Yeah. Um, black ball is kind of like the sleep paralysis demon. Like, <laughs> no one else is going to see it but you. 
I didn't do nothing uh, to create no enemies. Us not being ushered in by like, you know, industry elites. I know it shook a couple people up, but it's like, <clears throat> if you get to talking to me, you understand why. You know, I'm not here to, but I'm brilliant at this shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm, there's no one that can tell me I'm not. So I got here because of that. Do I think that that might have? Yeah, but it's like competition. Anything in competition, which I don't feel like music it should be a competitive sport, but business is always going to be competitive. So the fact that there's artists with the marketing budgets that couldn't fuck with us and the attention that we got at that time, you can't think of it as how do I stop them? Think about what the fuck I did and come talk to me and let's talk about it. Because it's it's the humanization of shit, man. Like if you can make something cool human for people to really understand, it ain't a it is not a marketing agency that can beat me at that. Because they're not outside. They don't know what the fuck is going on. They wouldn't go into None of the the higher-ups at any marketing agency I know or hip-hop marketing department will go into the corners of the shit that I'll go into. I'll go into the wildest McDonald's at the roughest part of the city, and I'll sit there because I also have this enjoyment of watching people that are, like, eat. You know, like, a lot of times, motherfuckers be hungry, and they come into these spots that people don't seem as or deem as respectable or... Um, even of class for them, but you once you see that joy, or you, you know what I mean. It might not be the best food, but it's like, bro, that that's their pinnacle for that day. Like you can actually see how humans work. You can see people like operate inside their own happiness that don't got shit to do with the rest of the world. And <clears throat> you take that, like I'll never be too good for McDonald's. I don't eat it all the time, but when I eat it, it ain't because I'm hungry. I eat it because there's a lot of pureness and like memories and childhood shit that I like can tap into just the, just the um, environment of it. If you was a kid, man, you had a moment in McDonald's. We get old and we start shitting on it. Like, Oh, it's just bad food, but shit, everything sucks. Your fucking toothpaste is poison. Your soap is poison. The fucking water you shower with is poison. At some point you just got to give up and be like, fuck it. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy this shit, bro. Like, I want to walk in here and get me a little two cheeseburger meal. What's the difference? Like it's some health food. It's an impossible burger right now being made that somebody's eating, thinking they're doing better than eating this McDonald's burger. And they're not. And they're fucking torturing themselves, eating some bullshit. <laughs> they could have just got a McDonald's burger and made themselves happy. Like I've, I've already figured this shit out. It ain't even worth trying to tell the world. It's just like, you got to figure it out on your own, but this shit is as real as it is fake. So but there's things that you can learn and shit you can enjoy that's going to always teach you something about people. And like I said, we're not going to look the same, but we're all the same. We all like the same shit. Everybody likes to be happy. Everybody likes to eat when they're hungry. Everybody likes to be at peace. It's like them three things you can see in a fucking hood-ass McDonald's or a hood-ass Wendy's. Or just being in a fucking tire shop. The shit that people outside of this culture that get to a certain class point, they're too good for. I'm not. I'll go to fuck anywhere by myself. 
and not buy myself on some street shit. I'm not a, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a street dude. That's why I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, some people be trying to teeter the line because they know they're not soft and try to act like they're street. But, like, bro, you're not. You don't want to do that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I got tons of friends, homies, family members that in did jail time, bro. You, I, I know some of the, you know what I mean? I know some street people you're not really about to talk too crazy. They sit there and do their jail time peacefully. And they will tell you this shit sucks. Even if you and that bitch eating Popeyes, it's terrible. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't put tons of money on people, JPay, all that shit. <clears throat> it's like this is this. If this is going out, it'd be telling, it'd be saying something to a kid that that maybe thought about doing some street shit, bro. Like none of your homies with an Apple computer can put something on your books. Like I figured out a glitch where it's like. They figured that they probably know that you could probably get money from somebody with an Apple computer or iPhone quicker. Or you got to damn near have a PC to make their JPay go through. Like it'll freeze on you. It'll do all sorts of weird shit if you got an Apple. Yeah, that means you you and your cool, cool, your cool ass friend, bro. You can't put money on your books today. And without that shit, you in jail naked. So it's like being a street dude is for what? Especially if you don't have to. So, like, me going places by myself is just so I can explore Earth. Like, I don't got to play no role. So when I'm in a spot or somebody that is an employee or whatever recognize me, they be like, damn, Chuck, I'm in this spot. That's what I want. I want to normalize that. Like, see me everywhere like Bill Murray, bro. Like, I'm I'm outside, but that's how I'll never lose it. I ain't never, I'm never not going to be sharp on what makes the world click because I, Go do shit. Like I go to the car wash and I sit in that chair. It's not even one person in that motherfucker my age sit in the chair and watch my car go through. And I can hear what people are saying or I can hear what like people's ringtones are or I can hear what music they listen to outside their headphones or know what crossword newspaper, you know what I mean? Like when you are when you can see people operating, you know it's you know the art that's going to affect them a little different than being one of them people just guessing. So I know that was long-winded, but fuck it. No, it was great. It, you went into depth there. I enjoyed it. Also, yeah. before shit got weird, you were doing your own parties and DJing out in L.A. Are, are you considering getting that back up here or are you still taking precaution <clears throat> with COVID? I already got one going. I started one We're on our fifth fifth one coming up on the 26th i started an r&b party great uh silver lake called just like candy it's kind of been like a it's been beautiful man it's been like a who's who's been in there like the first day the first uh joint we had <clears throat> i couldn't even make this shit up bro i was playing a babyface song and babyface was standing right next to me wow yeah it was that <laughs> it's that type of shit man like Things are clicking different, but I also feel like when you do shit with intention and there's nothing else to shake that intention, things just happen beautifully. Like R&B and old R&B and old funk, that's just what I listen to. So my ability to give people a set, that's not just generic. It's like, all right, people pulling up for the music. Then you get like, you know, the small macro Hollywood, my peers is, you know, 
even coming up or being on the it's like for example, like Freddie Gibbs there, Baby King was there, Damson from Snowfall was there, Duckworth was there, and ain't no VIP section, bro. It's just you gotta be you gotta be in there like we in there. You know, I forgot which uh of the ladies was there, but it's like we brought them out because people want to listen to good music. And then my peers want to do things that feel a little bit more human. So if I can mix them both together, and it's like, it's good for the planet, man. That's my brand. It's like, I'm just doing shit that's good for the planet. And it don't, it don't hurt me. It don't hurt me to share. No. So. And making great music convertibles, which was your solo debut. And just the acts that you worked with on there from Action Bronson, just the people you worked with throughout your career with Absol, Mac Miller, rest in peace, Action Bronson. Man, how was it working with Mac Miller? And what's a memorable story that you have with him? Because he's he's really just one of the, the gems out here in hip hop. Rest in peace to him. There's just a lot, man. It's a lot. I love that, man. I, and I speak present tense because I've just you know certain shit you don't have to go let go like being a human on earth allows you the privilege to be delusional a little bit so you know that was like a friend friend where like at the start of his career everybody wasn't sold on him I remember when we met, he was just like, man, I'm one of your biggest fans. Like, I just want to work. And I ain't going to say, like, this is before people start putting the Wiz connection together. I don't even know if Rostrum was like, this is before Best Day Ever, but it was before a, a mixtape before Best Day Ever. So I got, like, three beats on Best Day Ever. And... uh <clears throat> Around that time, I just told him, I was like, bro, if you pull up and you rent this studio in Chicago, I was like, I'm with, I'm, you got me for three days, whatever. And bro did it. And uh, just his team, the people he rode with, like his just childlike love for like the process of shit. Um, like, he used to make music quick as hell, but, like, you'll look at Mac and be like, bro, how the fuck you say that that quick? You know what I mean? Like, he'll have bars where I'm like, every rap he did was better than the last one. Like, older ones, it was just like he's a kid. He's talking about his Nikes, you know what I mean? And then it gets into the Macadelic era where it's just like, I'm t- taking drugs, fucking bad bitches now. And he, he would always just say what was happening right then. And I always thought that was shit was cool because I'm like, bro, how the fuck you go from uh, Blue Slide Park to, or how you go from like rapping about Nikes to Macadelic shit? And then, you know, I'm on tour with him and I'm just like, nah, it's definitely bitches out here and we are definitely on drugs at the moment. So it'd be like, I just, I wouldn't say it, but like watching him report live from where he was at was crazy to me. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of the, I think the sad shit is, and I know I know I never said this, but the fact that there was somebody to blame shows you that like Mac wasn't in a deep dark spot. He wasn't like 
Right? He was just a real rock star. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just say Tommy Lee's drugs was poisoned. Or let's just say, like, you know, like Eddie Vedder, uh, you know, uh, Iggy Pop, uh, fucking name somebody that ain't going off a bender. Like, uh, what's what's my man's from Rolling Stones? Not the lead singer, but the other dude. Oh, Keith. Uh, is it Keith? Was bro? He just wrote a book that was crazy as hell. But it was, um, he was like the guitar player. He's like the second man in Rolling Stone. We know what I'm talking about, right? Keith Richards. Keith Richards, right? <clears throat> Let's say Keith Richards' drugs get poisoned. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just sad that that's where his train stopped because it's like I talked to him two days before and then a week before I was supposed to go over his crib and uh, you know people talking about like it could have been because of a relationship it's like look man I could have had like view area but it's like when you back at that point in time it was like you really, really wasn't worried about what was next. You know what I'm saying? Like you could you could whip something together. I just think that you know, even reading it, I'm, I I I read the transcripts of the police report and just knowing what the text was, it was like my boy could just go. <laughs> it was it didn't sound like he was trying to end it. And then seeing like how it went. It's like that's the part that hurts me the most. And I still, you know, I, I've, I've lied to people. Like, I, I still haven't listened to, uh, I haven't listened to an album past his death. Like, I never, I don't know if I want, I, like, I haven't made some beats for swimming. I got this one joint that I did drums on that was going to go on, but it didn't make it. I just listened to that. I don't really listen to, I not because I don't want to, it's just, I just don't want to think it's not, he ain't here. Like, I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, man, he was one of the, just to see in, in his, his, you know, the afterlife, the respect grow. It's just like, you know, he was that good of a musician because he wanted to be. Like, he just, that's what he wanted to do. Like it's been been many a times we both been faded on the phone at like four a.m. But what were we doing? Was was anybody at a party? Mac was like, "Bro, I just had." I remember he called me one time. He was like, "Bro, I just had somebody some delivery service pull up, and he had like a fucking six thousand dollars sent. He just had like sent to him because he was he was just turned and was like, I'm about to make something crazy.' And it's like the fact that I know it sounds nuts, but the fact that that doesn't get rewarded." By life, it's like, you know, I mean, musicians take drugs. So yeah, it was deep for me, but I I loved every moment of it, and I can roll with that for the rest of my life. That's like a lot of the people I worked with on that album <clears throat> was at Max House when he when we got off tour, ended up moving like next door to Ben Stiller, I think. <laughs> he just went. <laughs> He went from just starting to having it. And then uh, he put a studio by the pool house. And that was like when he had that MTV show. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, that shit was a time. That shit was a moment in time. 
rest in peace to him and my condolences. And he was that he was a close friend of yours. My condolences again, and then just and getting into it with the cool kids, man. It, throughout just even though the industry did suck the fun out of it, and now you guys are back together. What's something that you look back on throughout your early years and just being with the cool kids that you're most proud of? Besides some of the things that we brought up before of being on on, on that tour with Q-Tip and, and seeing the bake sale and the vinyl shop and what are something what's something that you're real proud of? I mean, it's it's always moments, man. Like having like doing pitchfork back in the day mm. and being like super packed and just seeing both my parents there. And like my homeboy being crowd surfed next to my parents. That was a moment. Um and everybody knew the words, and I could just see the look on my mom's face, like, what the fuck did he do? Uh, that, my, um, like, doing Coachella with Portishead and Prince, and, like, just being able to, like, sit in the grass and watch Prince with my mother. That's big time. But it's, like, these things that allow other things. It's not what I did in the moment. It's what comes with what I did. It's like being able to travel and, you know, I tell everybody I've never really been on vacation, but I've traveled all over the world. It's not even a thing because all of those spots I've been to, like what the fuck is the vacation compared to, you know, going to a city and being shown around by the person that's, that brought you there and that's paying you, showing you the food. And then you get to connect with, not just like 16, 17 people, maybe if you're on vacation, but like 5,000. So it's stuff like that, man. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little things, uh, big details guy. And <clears throat> I don't want to miss shit. Like I don't mind not going fast. I don't got to accomplish the whole bunch of shit in a day. Cause I can actually appreciate moments past. You know what I mean? So I think that this is, I think this is the key to shit, man. Like you just, you just, you appreciate it and it never like lets you down. Like we didn't have hard times, but I don't got no, I don't got no hard time that's better than a better time. Um, and this is, I didn't, I didn't see some shit, but like, you know, death is certain. Uh, shit happens. So if I put all the shit under the category that's that, it's like, all right, it's explained already. So that's tragedy, that's unfortunate events, that's all that shit. All that shit makes sense because it's inevitable. But like a good time doesn't have to happen. You know what I'm saying? It's not a constant. Like you being happy is not like, it don't come with the human suit. You know what I'm saying? Like bullshit does. So it already makes sense. Like I only frustrated by shit that doesn't make sense. If it makes sense. I'm like, ah, that sucks, but fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Happiness is, you gotta be deserving. So when it happens and it replicates and it keeps happening and you not seeing it, that's your fault. Like there's a lot of happy people that don't even know, bro. You don't know what the fuck it feels like to be on the other side of that. You think you do, but you don't. And that's why you're acting the way you're acting. Because if you do, 
You know, like, ain't even got to put on no fake face, but shit could get fucked up. And it's not like be happy because people are hungry. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's already happening to you. It's showing you happiness and you just either obsessed with wanting more, you're greedy, or you're just not a good fucking person because that's actually a thing too. So that's how I've been able to... That's why I like that cool kid, the cool kids chapter, the early chapter, the first chapter. That shit is just a beautiful moments to me. But it was beautiful because it was like I was scaling a, a building. It was it was dangerous. But I was careful. Like, so we don't have no moments. We don't got no songs that we don't want to perform. We don't got no like fuck that video. I don't gotta do press and tell people what I don't want to talk about. I'm smooth. Yeah. That's right. But you have a lot on the way here, and I want to know what's something that you have upcoming here. I know you got the tours here lined up, and you wouldn't mind opening up for a new artist and just gaining new fans to the already having here fans that you already have. What's next for unfinished business between you and Mikey that's left, and as well as for your solo career? Can we get a follow up to convertibles? What's on your plate? And the follow up to convertibles was chill out. I oh, mean, chill you got to see it how it is. You know what I mean? Like we just don't see the value in performing outside of our most valuable asset, which is the cool kids brand. That's us. We pay for it. We pay for it emotionally. We pay for it financially and we own the rights to it on clothes and music. So I want to work under what we built. I want to keep exploring the sound that we started it's too many like it's too easy as an artist to make some win off of it it be yours and then you want to try something else so you can prove to people that you can do something different and i went through that shit it's not tight <laughs> it's, just, it's just not tight like the shit i made the style i kind of adopted the fusion because i didn't invent shit i just i put old school with synth wave with crazy drums and just the shit that entertain me but i didn't i didn't come up with it because i'm putting shit together that i experienced mm. um what was i saying right before that just putting your spin on things and oh right yeah right before the spin on things part because i was going somewhere with it Oh, and just to, how you created your own merch and just wanting to rock oh no 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 i know just being yeah just being an owner of what i what I came up with. So, you know, the, the, the next is, um, we gotta, can't get too far in depth, but it's, uh, us at A-Track presents. There's a surprise guest and we, it's the first album I would have done that. I I had nothing to do with the production. Um, there's that. There is our uh, video series, basically going to shoot, you know, a, a, a video story. And instead of um, a whole bunch of videos, we're just going to shoot one long one that exists, that all the songs enlist, exist in. So that's just for um, before shit got weird. Um, or it's going to be a home improvement video, a real killer, seven Avery Rex video. And on my side, I'm doing the hair done. I'm doing the lights, doing BBT. I'm going to make red beans and rice a video. Uh, 
we're going to do a it's yours video that's completely separate of the the short film mm-hmm. and then um after that the next album title is called high top fade and um we're just gonna keep it ain't no like art to this it's just gonna it's not it's not before shit got weird before shit got weird it's gonna grow on its own that's like a concept project <clears throat> high top fade is just the rap album that hit us as a child that's basically what i'm making us it's like the purest most shiniest sharpest version of what we grew towards so you know like the beat situation is different how i'm making it is different um but yeah, we only got that far. Everything is that, and then we're writing a movie. That's all I can say. But the movie probably be a five, three to five year process. But we're writing it, and I got the greatest expectations for it. Congrats on that. That's big. Yeah, man. That's big. Yeah, you know, we we covered a lot here tonight. Congratulations on all your accolades, success, giving us the cool kids, giving us convertibles and your own. I'm looking forward to everything that you have on the way. The tackle box and the bake sale and gone fishing volumes, the classics that we can go on and on about. But Chuckling English, I want to thank you for coming on the show here tonight for an interview. I appreciate all the stories, your time, and and just offering all the important thoughts and inputs that you had on the topics that I had here tonight, man. I appreciate it. No doubt. Let's do it. No doubt, man. Anytime you need anything from me, just let me know. I have baby oil staircase and before shit got weird in my rotation. Anytime you need anything from me, just let me know. You're always welcome on the show. All right, man. Appreciate you. No doubt. And they can follow you on Instagram at Old English and Twitter is Chuck is Dope. That is it. And then uh, everything else is www.coolxkids.com. And you have it from there. Go visit it. Go check out the merch. Go go get your T-shirts. I know you got the T-shirts on there. I saw that. Go get the merch there. Go download the album. Here's going up, man. I'm just, if you see it, you, you'll know what I'm doing right there. It ain't hit everybody yet, but that shirt don't ever got to go out of style. No. This is real. <laughs> That's a fact, man. That's All a fact. Right. Thank you for everything that you did for hip hop and continue to do and being true to yourself. And honesty is the the number one word that I think of when it comes to your craft. Thank you, man. No doubt, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. Take care and stay safe. All right, bro. Peace. Peace out, man.